Welcome to a podcast of a sermon delivered at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood in New Jersey. Our congregation is a place where you will find inspiration in the richness of diverse beliefs and the power of community. Detailed information about the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood is available on our website, uuridgewood.org. Now, if you'll please join in the words for lighting our chalice, they're printed in your order of service and also projected. We light this chalice. And now I invite you to take a deep breath to settle into your seat. It is warm inside these walls, even as the cold air moves beyond them. Be here in this moment now, among old friends and new, sitting quietly, breathing, and being warmed by the company of those who love you. Breathe deeply and listen. Just a couple days ago, many of us celebrated something. Raise your hand if you celebrated Halloween. Oh yeah, okay. So Halloween is derived in part from an ancient Gaelic festival called Samhain. Has anybody heard of that? Okay, awesome. That's the third and final harvest festival of the year, and it's still celebrated by people today. That festival began at sunset on October 31st and lasted through sunset on November 1st. Samhain is celebrated with bonfires and rituals of thanksgiving and rituals that honor the dead. Many believe that during Samhain, the separations between the living and the dead are less distinct. The ghosts and ghouls that we love to dress up as for Halloween come from the ancient idea that at this time of year, When darkness begins to overtake light, when summer has ended, the lines of existence are blurred. Food and other gifts are left out to placate the spirits who are thought to be more present, more potently, during Samhain than during any other time of the year. The notion is that during this time of the autumn, as the leaves turn and fall, we are able to see in a different way. And I don't mean see with our eyes, I mean in the way of deep knowing. We can know in a different way than the rest of the year that all things have their season, have their time. I invite you now into our time of meditation and prayer that we observe every Sunday. We'll come into this together with deep and slow breaths. Settle your body into your seat. Close your eyes if that feels comfortable. Take a deep, slow breath. On this day of remembrance, as we feel the breath move in and out of our bodies, 
a sure sign of our living. We honor all those whose names have been spoken and all those whose names we hold quietly in our hearts. We honor those who came before, before even our memory, those whose names we don't know, but whose living brought each of us to this moment. We honor the ancestors. We honor each life that has given our lives beauty, light, challenge, and joy. We give thanks for the time we had, for love which never dies, for the memories we share through storytelling. We give thanks for our own living, our own journeys. And this morning we offer gratitude too for those who will come after. Those who will remember us and love us beyond death. Those who will speak our names, tell our stories. Today we bring close the past, the present, and the future as together in silence we honor, give thanks, and remember. I don't actually remember how old I was when my grandmother went into a nursing home. From before the time I was born, she had been showing signs of Alzheimer's. And from the time I was small, she was sick enough to warrant around-the-clock care. My grandfather selected a nursing home near to the farm her family had owned for generations up in Massachusetts. And it was beautiful, but a few hours away from where the rest of the family lived. I remember going up to visit in the earliest days when she was living there. We would bring her out for ice cream. I have a distinct memory of walking along a stone wall a few feet above the ground, holding her hand while she ate a pistachio ice cream cone. Before long, though, the visits took place at the care facility. We would walk around the gardens and my grandmother wouldn't know me and my brother. At a certain point, my brother and I started bringing our handheld video games, and we would trail along behind my mother and her mother, avoiding the pain of not being known and of watching our mother not be known. Finally, we stopped taking my grandmother outside, and my family would go into the room to visit, and I remember doing this only once. And then I remember time spent with my brother outside while my parents went inside. In my memory, when I think of these visits, it's always autumn. There's always an orange, yellow, red hue to the memory. There are always leaves on the ground and a crisp coolness in the air. And the last memory I have of those visits is so clear to me, even this many years later, my parents went into the nursing home, and my brother and I, wrapped in our sweaters and scarves, stayed outside. And we decided to pass the time by collecting acorns for the squirrels. This is a true story. Autumn was in full swing, and we thought we would help the squirrels prepare for winter by piling pyramid after pyramid of fallen acorns under the giant trees that dotted the grounds around the place my grandmother would eventually die. 
We knew the pyramids wouldn't stop the winter from coming, but I think we secretly wished they would. My grandmother continued to live with Alzheimer's, cared for around the clock until I was 17 when she died. She lived with the disease for nearly 20 years in a time when life expectation, once diagnosed, was much shorter. So for my entire childhood, my grandmother existed in this state somewhere between alive and dead. Those last 10 years, I didn't visit, and I sometimes wonder if that was the right choice. I often wish the opportunity had been there to see her as I grew older. But I also realized that if I had, I would have seen her, but I wouldn't have seen her. She no longer knew us, even if she saw us, and we, my brother and I, certainly didn't know her, not really. For most of my coming of age, my grandmother existed in this in-between place. We, as a family, were to some degree living with the dead, living with a loved one's inexorable decline happening right before our eyes, living with a person who wasn't the person anyone remembered. My grandmother wasn't present at holidays or family gatherings, but her lack of presence was her presence because she was alive, but she wasn't with us. For years, she was alive, but in so many ways, effectively dead for us, somewhere in between lingering, trapped in a space that was neither here nor there, wherever there might be. She was occupying a liminal, in-between place, and we lived with that awareness for a very long time. Many people, many families, experience that long, drawn-out loss, that sense of the in-between, where the lines between alive and dead are blurred. Just as the ancient Celts believed the lines between the living and the dead blurred on Samhain. And all of us know what it is to lose someone we love. All of us know that pain, whether it is quick or slow. And all of us know what it means to hold tight to memories. To speak to those who have died. To call out their names in times of grief. To cry for them. To wish them back. To wish we could see them one more time hear their voice one more time, touch their hand one more time. In many traditions, ancestor veneration or placation has a prominent role. But in our modern Western world, we have a tendency to treat death as final, to pretend that once dead people don't affect us. We have a tendency to push away the truth of our beginnings and our endings. These past couple of weeks, I've been watching as the leaves have started to fall, and I've been watching, as I'm sure you have, the big piles of leaves raked to the side of the road waiting for pickup, and where I live, the leaf blowers in full swing. And I've been wondering why we insist on raking up and blowing up the leaves. What I've always heard is that it's bad for your lawn, that it suffocates the grass, destroys the grass. But I recently learned that's not really true unless you have a serious amount of leaves and they get trapped under a bed of snow. It occurred to me this year that our raking may be more about trying to maintain an illusion of summer. Green lawns in the middle of cold days. The removal of all evidence of the autumn shedding that so readily reminds us of the truth that all things die. Perhaps it's one of the ways that we attempt to hold at bay the fear that we can't control the cycles of nature, the fear of the unknown, the fear of death. But deep down, we know that the cycles come to us all. 
And I suspect that in truth, many of us understand that death isn't really final. Maybe it's the sound of your grandmother singing that you still hear, or maybe you catch a flash of your mother's face in your child's, or maybe every time you smell a fire in a fireplace, it reminds you of a beloved partner. All of us live with the dead to some extent, and we're grateful to have that connection to them. We live with their memories, the way they helped shape us, the way their expectations affected our choices, the way they still influence us. We live with the memory of their approval or disappointment. We live with our desire to do right by them. And often we live with those very long dead, those we never knew. We live with the sadness that we never knew them or with long ago stories of their lives and adventures, stories that mold our values and our sense of self. The dead are all around and inside us. Their lessons and their words, silent and spoken, resonate in our beings. We interpret their lives, and those interpretations inform our lives. We don't talk about it often or acknowledge it often in our culture, but we're surrounded by the dead. In those traditions that engage in ancestor veneration, food and gifts are often given, prayers and songs are sung, candles are lit, celebrations are held, feasts. Sometimes it's to appease the ancestors, to encourage them to be present with the living, to encourage them to send gifts in return. Veneration and appeasement is a way to acknowledge and cope with the fact that the dead don't ever really leave us alone. It's a means of negotiating the fear and worry about approval, the concern about upholding family traditions or standards, the desire to continue hearing the messages of love. It's about the need to hear those voices. But it also reminds us that we are part of a whole. By intentionally taking time to remember those who have come before, we acknowledge the transience of our own existence. When we light candles and speak the names, when we recognize in community the lives that have affected our own, we're giving ourselves a moment to sink deeply into the cycles that impact us all, into this natural world that holds us all. The rituals remind us to stop in our individualistic, busy, supposedly independent lives to remember that we exist in a context. We are not alone, and we are not simply our own. And we are not even just each other's. Our reading this morning declared that not only am I the song that will never end, the love of family and friend, but also, I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glint on snow. I am the sunlight on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn rain. The festivals and rituals of this time of year remind us what we already know. The leaves on the trees will change color and they will fall. The cold of winter will come no matter what we do. <coughs> and it reminds us that each of us will face our own autumns and winters. Each of us will die. But each of us will also live on in the minds and hearts of those who knew and loved us, and we will live on, too, in the world that bore us, nurtured us, and holds us at the end. There was a mid-20th century theologian named Paul Tillich who wrote a book that has been very significant to me in my spiritual journey, and I think about it often at this time of year when we are reminded that the lines between life and death 
Winter and spring, night and day are not so fixed. The book is titled The Courage to Be, and in it he writes about being with a capital B. So he's not talking about living or our individual living personhood. He's talking about the broadest conception we can have of living, of existing, of being, in its ultimate sense. And what he writes is that being with a capital B actually encompasses both life and death. It encompasses the pain and the pleasure, the sorrow and the joy, the anger and the love. Being in the biggest sense, in the deepest and truest sense, holds within itself non-being. So he writes this. The faith which makes the courage of despair possible is the acceptance of the power of being, even in the grip of non-being. Even in the despair about meaning, being affirms itself through us. The act of accepting meaninglessness is in itself a meaningful act. It is an act of faith. The vitality that can stand the abyss of meaninglessness is aware of a hidden meaning within the destruction of meaning. Here's what I think he's saying in an obscure way. We can look around at these lives of ours and despair that perhaps they are meaningless. But when we live anyway, when we accept the possibility of meaninglessness and still live, we are in fact doing something meaningful creating meaning in our lives. We are pulling that meaninglessness into ourselves and thus creating meaning that triumphs over meaninglessness. It's parallel to what he writes about being. So being is knowing that we have lost others, knowing that we will die, and living anyway. Being is the courage that reaches into the heart of the despair of death and pulls it close and says, death is part of life, and I embrace all that is my life, its beginning and its ending, whatever those might mean. It's the courage to recognize the whole of the cycle of life, a cycle that includes death. It's the courage to open ourselves, open our minds and hearts, and to see the sunrise in the glow of the sunset, to see the death in life and the life in death. In our living, we can bring the dead close around us, remembering and honoring them, not just with grief and sorrow, but grateful for the reminder that we are not so separate, that we aren't alone. We can bring them close and celebrate our connection to this earth and all its creatures. In these autumn days, the lines are blurred, the lines between death and life, between what was and what will be. We're not separate from the past or from the future. Our present exists in connection with all time. We have this built-in, naturally imposed annual window into the liminal, numinous, deep oneness that moves across space and time. And I think we need it, probably more than once a year. In our culture, the dominant culture of Western Christian white worlds, we don't spend much time in contemplation of the dead. We spend time trying to avoid death, delay it, pretend we aren't aging. We don't live comfortably with the knowledge of our transience. We don't spend the bulk of our lives in full acceptance of the oneness of being in the broadest sense. 
Instead, it's been my experience that we tend to keep silent about death, pretending for as long as possible that it doesn't happen, trying to spare our children for as long as possible, tiptoeing around with phrases like passed on or expired or gone to a better place. We find it hard to say, he died, they died. We shore up our living with acorns of silence about and quiet protestation against our death. No matter how many acorns we pile up, we cannot avoid the fundamental fact of our living that we will die. But we try. And what if we didn't try? What if instead we spoke the names of the dead, shared stories about them, spoke openly about our fears and our thoughts and our worries about our own deaths? What if instead we venerated our ancestors, intentionally letting go of the fiction that we are apart from them? What if instead of thinking about ourselves as independent beings, free to be whatever and whoever we want, we thought of ourselves as part of a larger whole that reaches beyond the constraints of time? And even more, what if we cultivated a sense of gratitude and celebration and joy for these complex and often heartbreaking lives we are given? What if we intentionally, carefully, and thoughtfully, not just today, but every day, celebrated our dead beloveds with the sharing of stories and with laughter? Perhaps we would find death less terrifying. Perhaps we would find it easier to remember the oneness. Perhaps we would know deeply that just because they are beyond our physical sight, that doesn't mean they are beyond our knowing and our loving. Certainly, we would be living more honestly, living with deeper courage. We would be embracing more fully the dead ones we live with each and every day because they have, in fact, not really left us. We would be naming and owning one of the most basic facts of our existence, and in so doing, we would actually be embracing our being more fully than when we attempt to push that truth aside. Death is as much a part of our lives as anything else. The dead are with us, and in every moment, we too are closer to joining their ranks. They're in the mountains, in the fields, and the stars, in our hearts, in our memories. Whenever we speak their names, they are with us. Whenever we hear their voices ringing in our ears, they are with us. Whenever we call to our mind's eye their image, they are with us. In the children that laugh and dance around us and sing, they are with us. Whenever we raise our voices together, they are with us. They're with us each day in our own living, and it is a gift to be able to keep them in this way, to celebrate and tell the tales of their living, knowing in time someone will tell tales of us. Our living, the whole of our living, is a gift. A challenging, joyful, beautiful gift that calls us to gratitude for each day we are given. We are as part of the cycle as Earth itself. May we each find the courage to live with acceptance of these truths, celebrating and rejoicing in the love we have known, love which never dies. So may it be. Please join me in the words for extinguishing our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but may the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the energy of action burn bright in our hearts until we are together again.
It isn't easy to dwell always in the truth of our living and dying, but when we can, we find greater depth, truer honesty, and more loving gratitude. Lean into this season's calling and remember your place in the cycle of things. May love fill your life this autumn. Go in peace.